If you would like to turn your um, phones or Bibles open to Luke chapter 24, um, Luke chapter 24, and we're looking at verses 13 through to 35. So Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. And behold, on that day, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, which was 60 stadia from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing them. And he said to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they came to a stop looking sad. One of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you possibly the only one living near Jerusalem who does not know about the things that happened here in these days? And he said to them, what sort of things? And they said to him, those about Jesus, the Nazarene, who proved to be a prophet, mighty in deed and word, in the sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers handed him to over to be sentenced to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel indeed. Besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. But also, some women among us left us bewildered. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And so some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women had said. But him they did not see. And then he said to them, you foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to come into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses, with all the prophets, he explained to them the things written about himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going. And he gave the impression that he was going further. And so they strongly urged him saying, stay with us for it's getting toward evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And it came about when he had reclined at the table with them that he took the bread and blessed it. And he broke it and began giving it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, were our hearts not burning within us when he was speaking to us on the road while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered and those who were with them saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experience on the road and how he was recognized by them at the breaking of the bread. I'm sure at some stage many of us have been confronted with dashed hopes, shattered dreams and ultimate despair. The intensity probably varied for each of us, but no doubt the consequences were the same. Dejection, disillusionment, bewilderment, disappointment. And the Bible reading that we just heard introduced us to two such people. 
The two travellers, Cleopas and an unnamed companion, were on their way to their home in an unknown village of Emmaus. They were weighed down with a heavy burden. The sinking sun in the west symbolised their sagging spirits. Their hopes had been shattered. Their hopes were dashed. But they didn't spend that 11-kilometre trek in melancholic silence. As they trudged along the road, they were working their way through the various issues that were on their minds. They engaged in lively discussion and vigorous debate. The word Luke uses suggests that their words ricocheted off each other. And so obviously the discussion that they were having was a fiery discussion. Were they discussing the facts that their hopes had been dashed? Were they seeking to make sense of recent events? Were they seeking to comprehend the reports that they'd heard earlier in the day? We don't really know. But like most Jews at the time, the two had learnt in their synagogue of God's promised Messiah, a deliverer and a conqueror. And over the last couple of years, they and many others had heard Jesus teach. They'd seen him perform miracles. They'd watched the various activities in which he'd been involved. And all of this caused many of them to wonder, could this person be the Messiah that God has promised? And yet, Jesus' horrific death on a Fallon's cross a few days earlier shattered that idea. The fact of his death and the way that he died weren't their only disappointment. These events were completely opposite to what they had heard in the the synagogue. In a sense, these two are probably an illustration of how most of Jesus' followers felt at that time. They probably wondered if they'd been hoodwinked. All of them, hope had departed with Jesus' death. Many of us perhaps know the the pain of a long-held hope or dream being suddenly and completely destroyed. Then I invite you to, to walk with these two as they trudge home. You may make a discovery as they did. For Luke tells us that while they debated, a stranger heading in the same direction caught up with them. Now, fortunately, Luke lets us in on the secret right from the start. He tells us who the stranger was. He writes, suddenly Jesus came and began walking with them, but God kept them from recognising him. We're in on the secret, but these two aren't. And so the stranger inquired the reason for their heated debate. Well, that brought them to a halt pretty suddenly, stopped them in their tracks. Misery and defeat, disbelief and despair were written on their faces. They were dumbfounded. Their demeanour changed. How could anyone not know 
about the recent tragic events in Jerusalem. You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about the things that have happened there these last few days, said Cleopas. What things? Jesus asked. And so as we consider what occurred next, try and put yourself into the sandals of these two. Consider the irony of this situation as they inform the stranger of all that was on their hearts and minds. Of course, Jesus knows exactly what happened. It happened to him. We know, but the travellers didn't. What things? Jesus asked as he begins to lead them through this journey of discovery. He wants them to, to tell him what's on their hearts. And so Cleopas and his companions spell out the hopes and expectations that they had for Jesus of Nazareth. In fact, what they tell him is a rehearsal of the basic facts of the gospel. They considered Jesus to be a prophet who was powerful in what he taught and in what he did. They had hoped that he was going to deliver Israel from Roman oppression. They'd expected him to triumph over the religious establishment. Their report goes on to tell of his death engineered by the religious leaders, a horrific death by crucifixion. Then there was talk of an empty tomb. The whole gospel is there except for the certainty of resurrection. They'd heard his teaching, they'd seen his mighty works, they'd anticipated the promised Messiah, they had considered him to be, to, the, to be the deliverer. But now everything that they had longed for had been dashed to the ground. Their hopes had been nailed to a felon's cross. We had hope. Three words that express a wealth of disappointment. I wonder if you have been there. Things that you had hoped for vanishing. We had hoped, but now we don't expect it anymore. The man in whom their hope was placed had been horribly put to death. The Messiah they had anticipated as a conqueror had suffered this ignominious death. God had let them down. All of this poured out from this despairing pair in answer to, in answer to this simple question. What things? What their walking companion had done was to reach down to them in their human grief and encouraged them to, to unburden their hearts. He wanted them to acknowledge their despair. It was only then that he would be able to transform their situation. And friends, in a sense, that's a parable of human experience, isn't it? The risen Christ is still the ones, one who comes to people in their time of need. He encounters us in the darkness of our lives. He encourages us to unburden our sorrows to him. And then he pours in his comfort and his strength and renewed hope. Jesus is there with each of us as he was 
with those two. He walks with us in our particular darkness, whatever that darkness may be. It may be a tragedy. It may be a misfortune that has hit our lives. It may be a family situation or ill health or something else. We may feel that we've been let down by God, that we've been let down by our faith, and maybe that we've been let down by our church. How do you like Jesus' response to them? Well, first of all, he suggests to them they're a bit slow on the uptake. And then he could have said to them, well, let me tell you what's been going on and why. But he doesn't. Instead, he says, let me tell you what the Bible says. And he rebukes them for the failure to understand the scriptures that they'd heard regularly in the local synagogue. The prophets had spoken plainly enough, but the rabbis had only focused on predictions which which referred to the glory of the Messiah, the great prophet, a great king, a great figure who would receive authority from God. But the passages referring to suffering were something that they put into the too hard basket. It wasn't that they hadn't read the scriptures, but rather that they had read them selectively. They'd focused on the parts that referred to this victorious deliverer. The passages that that spoke of, of suffering didn't fit in with their expectation of the Messiah, so they skipped over them. They couldn't reconcile the concept of a, of a conqueror and a sufferer. But this rebuke is only the beginning of Jesus' talk with them. Because he walks these two through Moses and the prophetic writings, what we call the Old Testament. You know, I'd I'd like to have been a fly that was buzzing around as they walked to listen in. I'd like to have eavesdropped on what Jesus had said. Luke tells us that Jesus explained from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In their despair, Jesus directs this pair to the scriptures. Why? Because scripture is the place where we hear the voice of the living God. And to hear that voice is to know what these two Emmaus pilgrims experienced. Our hearts being warmed by the very life of God. I wonder if you've ever thought about what that Bible study may have included. In our Connect group last year, we, in the lead up to Easter, we considered some of these passages in a series of studies we referred to as Jesus in the Old Testament. Possibly Jesus began with the first promise given after Adam and Eve's disobedience that we read in Genesis 3. I will cause hostility between you and the woman. Between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Possibly he referred to Isaiah 40 that announces a forerunner 
Isaiah 61 that speaks of deliverance. Psalm 118 calling on the people to receive the one who comes in the name of the Lord and, and warning that the rejected stone will be exalted. There's Psalm 110 with its promise of shared rule with God and a priest in the line of Melchizedek. In Deuteronomy 18 there was the promise of a great prophet Possibly he referred to the various sacrifices and how they prefigured his own sacrifice for sin. I'm sure he turned to Isaiah 53 and the suffering servant. Those of us who were here on Maundy Thursday's service were reminded that the Passover also looked towards the coming deliverer and what he would accomplish. And so it was in scripture after scripture, the, sh the, the stranger showed how what had happened was what God had promised long before. With them, he explored how God's purpose was worked out and found its fulfillment in the cross. He explained the career of the Messiah as it's outlined in scripture, that it's both suffering and then glory. That's the way God designed it. Scripture reminds us that the Messiah had to suffer these things and then enter his glory. Both his passion and his resurrection were necessary. Both were part of God's eternal plan. His career involved suffering and triumph. And the bridge between these two was resurrection. God triumphs through the suffering of his Messiah. What these two had seen was not the end of hope, but its very beginning. And friends, because this is the way our Lord went, those of us who are his followers can expect no less. We also must expect to experience buffetings in our life. But out of them, God can bring blessing. Think of Joseph. We read about him in Genesis. He was rejected by his brothers. He was maligned by his boss's wife. He was unjustly imprisoned. But then he became prime minister of Egypt and many years later he said to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. The apostle Paul knew the truth that out of blessing comes buffeting. Out of buffeting comes blessing. He wrote, though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vast outweighs them and will last forever. As these two travellers listened to their fellow traveller, they began to realise they had wrong ideas about what the Old Testament taught and said about the cross. This exposition stirred them greatly. Both of them sensed a heartwarming 
experience. But it was only later as they compared notes that they realised this. Don't you think it seems strange that although Jesus had explained the scriptures to these followers, they still didn't realise who it was that was talking to them. Surely there's a challenge here for us. Are some of us slow to believe what's in the Bible? Sometimes behind the, the hopelessness in the situations we may face is, is a, a slowness to believe all that God tells us through the scriptures. We need to hear Jesus' gentle rebuke to the two and ensure that we don't read them selectively. Rather, we should read and think about all that God has said. Well, Luke's account tells us how the stranger accepted the invitation to be the guest for the evening. But Luke records how the guest became the host. He went through the motions of, that were familiar at the beginning of a Jewish meal. A prayer of thanksgiving, the breaking of bread. It sounds like the Lord's Supper, doesn't it? But it was really an ordinary meal. And it was at this point that Cleopas and his companion became aware of who their guest was. But the recognition is not simply natural. It is divinely given. The expression, their eyes were opened, could be understood as God opened their eyes. Early they had been prevented from recognising Jesus, but now their eyes were opened. Let me divert for a moment. Let's recall the first meal mentioned in the Bible, recorded in Genesis chapter 3. The woman saw that the tree was beautiful, its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom that would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some of it to her husband who was with her. And he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened. And they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Their eyes were opened and they saw their sin. And now here is Luke describing another meal, the first of the new creation. And when Jesus took the bread and broke it, their eyes were opened and they saw their saviour. Startling resemblance, isn't there? The Emmaus pair discovered through the breaking open of the scriptures, the breaking of the bread, that in Jesus the long curse had been broken, that mankind can now be reconciled to God. At the beginning of the journey, God kept the two from recognising who Jesus was. Now, at this point, he opened their eyes. And with this recognition and the previous con uh, scriptural instruction, the purpose of Jesus' appearance was accomplished. Jesus disappeared from their sight. It wasn't that Jesus just got up and walked out the door. It was a, a supernatural act of departure. 
Suddenly all that had happened began to make sense to them now. Jesus had to suffer. Jesus had to die. But now he was alive. Jesus had explained the scriptures to them and they understood. What had been previously news of an empty tomb now became a living reality. Jesus is alive. What had been the death of hope now saw hope restored. Hope was restored for Christ is the hope of the world. It's an interesting observation, isn't it? It wasn't while the stranger was expounding the scriptures or debating with the two that they understood. That had laid the foundation. Their understanding came when they sat together at a meal. It was in their experience of Jesus that they realised who he was. It came when they had made a commitment of themselves to him. Their invitation for him to join them implied that they were impressed with what he'd said. And so they wanted to be involved more with him. Their commitment led to discovery. Think about it. If those two had never made that commitment by inviting the stranger to be their guest, they would never have known who their fellow traveller was. Walking, talking, extending an invitation, sharing a meal, it's, it's so, rem- uh, so routine and ordinary, isn't it? Probably we would expect appearances to be spectacular. But it's like life. Life is punctuated by the the spectacular only once in a while. Most of life is quite ordinary and it's in the ordinary experiences of life that Christ meets us. Listening to the Master's words, hearing his explanations and exposition, receiving from him instruction and application, showing their hospitality, All of this led to a rekindling of the fire in their hearts. Friends, it may be that some of us here in the sanctuary or listening at home are on our own Emmaus road this morning. Maybe some of us are despairing of life. Despair of because of family problems, ill health. There may be our own uncertainties about facing the future. Perhaps we need to be reminded that we aren't walking that path alone. That there's a companion who joins us and sometimes he may come to us in the form of a Christian brother or sister. Our fellow traveller wants to open his word to us as he did to these two friends. It could be he wants to remind us that the path of obedience involves both suffering and glory. There is the cross that we are to take up, but there is also resurrection. I wonder if some of us this morning are currently going through our Friday of despair. If so, we can find comfort in the knowledge that Resurrection Day is coming.
When Jesus met them, they had heavy hearts. When Jesus talked with them, he accused them of having slow hearts. However, when he left, they had burning hearts. The fact of Jesus' resurrection, the hope of God's word provided deep and lasting comfort to these two whose lives had been turned upside down. I trust that each of us may find hope and comfort through the Bible and through the reality of Jesus' resurrection in whatever situation we may find ourselves. The experience of these two friends can be ours. They left Jerusalem believing that Jesus was dead. They reached Emmaus in company with him as the risen Lord. They left Jerusalem with cold hearts and in deep despair. They reached Emmaus with warm hearts and hope rekindled. That can be your experience and mine too. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord, that as we have again journeyed with these two on the Emmaus road, that you, for us also it has been a journey of discovery. However, we admit that like them we're often slow to understand your word and your purposes. Nevertheless, we thank you for opening our eyes to once again see the living Christ, to experience a relation with him across your word. Thank you that because of that encounter, our hearts have been warmed. Send us out now to face today, tomorrow and the future, confident that because Jesus lives, he will share each part of the journey with us until that day when we will be with him forever. Amen.